From advocating for internal change at Denver University regarding sexual assault training to serving as a role model where sports meets sexuality, today's guest is undoubtedly a trailblazer. But where did this passion begin? Listen to discover how she persevered after experiencing gender discrepancies in abuse prevention, sports medicine, and society as a whole. Hi, thank you for tuning in to this episode of Bench. This is your host, Jules Makia, and I'm super excited to announce our guest for today, Molly Little, who is a lacrosse player at Denver University. Molly, thanks for joining us. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so today we're going to dive into several topics, but before we do that, I just wanted to issue a trigger warning. Today's topics could include, but are not limited to sexual assault, sexual harassment, um, specifically within the college realm. So just wanted to give everyone a heads up before we get started. Molly is a fantastic lacrosse player, and she's very passionate about women's sports in general and has really um, made a difference at her school regarding sexual assault training, which is something most people at universities have to go through, but specifically... um, in athletics at the beginning of every year, teams are supposed to or usually um, have a sexual harassment or sexual assault training. Um, many of us did this before college too, like every student at UNC does like the alcohol EDU and that kind of stuff. And Molly wanted to speak to her experience about Denver University and kind of what she found out when she got there and how things could be improved. Yeah, um, well, so my first, I transferred here. So my sophomore year was my first year. And right off the bat, first week of school, like we had the sexual assault training, like whole athletic community was in our like big auditorium and had the whole spiel, which is what is supposed to happen. I mean, like that's the rule. I mean, I don't know exactly under the NCAA, like what it is, but that's the rule. And so we had that. And then my junior year had the same thing. And then last year, all of a sudden, like we go through the first week of school and I'm like, oh, like we usually have that. Like, I don't know, like maybe it's just a mistake, like maybe we're going to have it. And then we went through my whole like fall and I was like, this is so bizarre. So I decided to email our um, like Title IX coordinator. I had never met them before. And I would just be like, reach out. Hey, like what's going on? Um, And he was like, yeah, like we just haven't really gotten around to it. Like very nonchalant. And I was like, oh, um, okay. And we ended up having a bunch of meetings and they seemed super positive. And then all of a sudden, like, just started blowing me off. Like, he wouldn't respond to my emails. Like, all the stuff we had talked about that I thought was super positive and, like, a step forward from just, like, an hour conversation where we're being talked at about sexual assault and gender-based violence was much... It was, like, going to be so much more interactive, like, all that kind of stuff. And it just went out the window. And we ended up having, like, this mandatory, like, same kind of spiel thing because I think they had to do it under the NCAA. But everything we had talked about was gone. (laughs) So it was almost like they listened to you but then just, like, totally ignored the thoughts and opinions you had and, like, wanted to bring attention to. They just kind of threw out the window. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I went in, I think I had two or three meetings with him. And we talked about making it more like coming from the student athletes to other student athletes like making it more interactive like talking more about the hard things rather than just going through a powerpoint and people not like caring like i've heard so many people across all sports teams at my school being like oh like dreading it and hating it and not wanting to go and not understanding how important it is which is it's sad like it's horrible because 
of how prevalent it is in every university all across the country. Yeah, no, I definitely understand like where you're coming from with that. Like our at the beginning of every year before COVID, obviously we would meet in person for like the Sunday before school started for like four hours and it would just be meetings on top of meetings. And this training was one of the things that was thrown in there. And so after sitting through meetings all day, like no one's listening, no one's paying attention. Like it's not going through your head. And unfortunately, I think in my opinion, some of the things that happen in, you know, um, colleges in general are amplified in sports. Um, like toxic masculinity and just entitlement is really, really prevalent in sports. I'm not saying um, people are more likely to do anything. I'm just saying it's, you know, it, it doesn't do anyone harm to really take the time to go through these trainings and like make them useful because there's no point of doing them if they're just totally like one one thing you got to listen to for the next four hours. It's it, it's bigger than just like compliance. Like this is a we're doing compliance. We're doing like academic advising. Like this is a topic that's so much more important than those things and it should be given the respect that it deserves. I know for me, like UNC, like it's kind of a scary place. Like it was in a documentary about like sexual assault and sexual harassment. And unfortunately, like that's so common throughout all universities. Um, I don't know what Denver's like, but if you want to like expand on the culture there. Yeah, well, I mean, I can't obviously speak for the whole school. Like I don't, I don't know exactly what the statistics are and whatnot. But um, there was a, I think it was last year, probably in the middle of last year, um, these, the group of people, I don't know who they are, it's anonymous, came out with this Instagram platform called We Can Do Better. Um, and it like had like the DU logo, like all that kind of stuff. It was very like DU specific. And basically it was a platform where people could anonymously like post their stories of what happened to them, whether it be alumni, current, current students, like all that. And it absolutely blew up like I was I followed it and I was shocked like I started from the beginning and I would read all these stories of alumni from like 10 20 years ago and then current things that happen on a day-to-day basis here and it's just ridiculous because like we get like the I don't know what it's I don't know what it's called but it's like the campus like security emails like everyone at the school like gets them and so you hear about like stalkers and like that kind of stuff and it's like I don't know, maybe once every other month you hear about things like that. But when you're reading stories every other day about assaults and gender-based violence and stalking, like all the things that fall under that umbrella category, it's honestly like heart-wrenching. Like I, it's so hard to read all of it. And now it got so big that it's expanded to other schools, I believe. I'm not really positive, but it's just, it's ridiculous. Like I... (laughs) It, like, I, I don't even have words for it. It's, like, honestly so heartbreaking. Yeah, so I also wanted to chat about your, like, where your passion came from, from really being an advocate, especially within sports and making sure that this is taken um, and given the importance that it deserves. And if you want to speak to your experience, I think that would be really enlightening for everyone. Yeah, so um, I was assaulted. I was raped uh, when I was in high school. Uh, by my boyfriend which is something that is super important to note like it's so often someone that is close to you not someone that is coming up from behind you and like grabbing you in the middle of the night or like walking home from class or something like I was assaulted by my boyfriend of almost two years at that point and uh, I was 15 and it was honestly 
like the best and worst experience of my life. Like obviously it has changed me completely drastically, that kind of stuff, but it I think it made me grow up a lot and it made me really have to like dig it in deep within myself and like look at myself in the mirror and understand like what kind of person I wanted to be and what kind of person I was and really understand like how strong of a person you can be. Like they always say like men are so strong, like that stereotype, but like women are strong too. Like we can be strong. Like I like the victim thing, like it's not me. Like I was never wanting to be that and I never really wanted to assume that role. And I think good and bad things come from that, but I think it really did teach me to be such a like stronger person that I was. What advice do you give people who, you know, went through something like this and like what do you want to say to them and to get through what they're going through? Well, I think before something would even happen, I think it's so important to listen to the people that are closest around you and notice red flags. Like that is the biggest thing I wish I had done prior to what happened to me because my parents were telling me, my best friend was telling me, like it was it wasn't obvious because to me I was so manipulated by him that I couldn't see it, but if I had taken that time and like stepped back from the situation, looked at the bigger picture, I think I would have understood it better. Granted, I was young, so maybe not, but that is so huge. And just understanding that it's not going to be someone that's like a random person. It could be a family member, um, a boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, whatever whatever it might be. Um, But I think after the fact, I wish I had handled it better. I didn't tell anyone. Um, I was so afraid to even say it out loud like at first I couldn't even like process and be like okay Molly like you were assaulted like I couldn't even those words like I thought about it and I cried and I think the importance of it is not owning it but almost like being like okay you know what this happened to me and I'm not going to run away from that yeah so like I want to dive deeper into that like how did you cope with this and like I'm assuming it kind of inspired your drive to like help others and to really make this like sexual harassment, sexual assault training like important and given the credit it deserves in at least the athletic sphere. Yeah, I mean, for me, once I finally like processed the whole thing, which took a long time, like I was young, it, I didn't deal with it the right way. But once I kind of got over that hump and really figured out how I felt about the whole thing, I knew that how prevalent it was like like I mentioned before like it's so heartbreaking to hear how much it happens to other people and it like after coming from that experience like every time I read a story like that I think about mine and I think about how I felt and I was like I hate that so many people have to go through that and it's just not fair and obviously it's not all women like men experience it too but so many girls like if it happened to one of my teammates, like one of my best friends, like I don't even know like how I would be able to handle that. Like it's so difficult. And you feel like you're alone even though you might not be. And that's the most difficult part about it because like when it happened to me, I just like closed myself off. Like no one by myself, I didn't even like want anyone's help, <laughs> Like which is sad. But you feel like, 
because of the stigma around it, like you can't talk about it, you are going to be shamed if you do. And that's the hardest part is understanding that it shouldn't be that way. And I think so many people are starting to kind of see that, but it's just like so normalized to be hush hush and oh that happened like push that away don't think about it don't talk about it but that's not how you deal with things <laughs> like, that's not healthy I probably would have needed someone that kind of pushed me a little bit like not in an aggressive way but like just someone that would have been there and been like okay we need to actually talk about it because if you don't it's gonna hurt you more and I think just being there and not pushing the boundaries too much and being aware of what you're saying is huge. Like I've been around so many people that have accidentally without even knowing it, like made a remark about something to do with sexual assault in a joking way. And that hurts so much. And it can honestly bring up so many painful things for people and just like triggers, like things like that. Like you just have to be careful what you say. It's like, we think about like what's going on in the world right now, like the Black Lives Matter movement, like saying the N-word like just isn't okay anymore. And you have to think about that with like things like sexual assault. Like you can't just go around like aimlessly th saying things and not knowing your audience. Like you walk around and you don't know what people have been through. So it's better to just not say something like that. Yeah, no, that's that's really great advice. And I think it's super important to like understand how you can support your friends or support somebody that's going through it because unfortunately based on statistics like you or someone close to you like has a very high chance of that happening to them um I know at UNC this the statistic like is pretty high I saw it one time and it was it was disappointing but it matched you know the experiences that I've heard and seen and you know but the next thing I like wanted to talk and and kind of move back in the other direction was like what good do you hope comes from sharing your story like the one thing the, or one of the biggest things I learned coming from my experience was that um and I learned this way after it happened was that what happened to me is something that happened to me it doesn't define me it doesn't make me who I am today like I'm who I am because of way more important things than just being assaulted when I was in high school like that doesn't define me and that doesn't affect me. And obviously it changed the way I do things in a certain aspect of life. It obviously did, but I think that it's more important for me to share my story even as hard as it is talking about it because God forbid someone listens to this um, and that's happened or it might eventually happen and they can know that it's okay like that they're going to be okay like they're strong enough to get through it and move through how difficult it was because at one like at one point after it happened to me I was like oh my god like how am I going to be able to like move on like how am I going to be able to be normal again like those things and it's so important for people to understand that, like you can do it and hearing it from someone that isn't like a therapist or like a compliance person talking to you on a stage that you're not even listening to like a real like full-blown human being like I think that's so much more important than like maybe me being upset that I had to talk about or like that I was talking about it like even if one person like reached out to me after this and was like you know what Molly like that happened to me too. Like, thank you for talking about it because I was afraid to. 
like something like that is so much more important than just like me individually and my experience yeah for sure and I think like the fact that we're having this conversation and just talking about like the stigmas that go along with it like people are afraid to talk about their stories because it's so stigmatized and it shouldn't be the case like it's not your fault you know and like ex- like helping people and making sure you're there for them I think is so important and the fact that our culture is very um off-putting and like you know hush hush about this kind of stuff and which is amplified I believe in like college you see it all the time administrations do all kinds of sketchy things um we see it at UNC, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And people are so shamed. Yeah. Like, someone coming forward, they're like, oh, well, what were you wearing that night? Or how much did you have to drink that night? Or, like, something like that. Or just labeling someone as, like, a slut or something like that. Like, those derogatory words. Like, that's... <laughs> like, when it happened to me, I was wearing sweatpants and a t-shirt. Like, it does not matter. Like, rape is not about sex. It's about power. It's about control. It's not about the sexual experience. It's about the control that that person has over you. Yeah, and I, I think that is such an important point to bring up. Like, unfortunately, I've heard those same things when people are talking about stuff like this. And I you hear it in politics a lot, and it's just absolutely disgusting. Like, it is no one's fault ever. Like, exactly with your story, you know? Like, that is a common thing. Like, it doesn't matter what you're wearing. Like, it's, it's not about that. And... That's what's so unfortunate in college. It's like, well, were you out drinking? What were you doing? It's like, it doesn't matter. It, it just doesn't matter. My other opinion is we do these like modules, like alcohol EDU and like whatever. They're not helpful. They're just another thing you're making college kids do. Like it feels like homework. And nine times out of 10, they're just sitting there clicking through it on their computer, watching TV, like eating, like doing something else and not even paying attention to it. Like, but like, there's no point in that. Like, none at all. Like, if it's going to go in one ear and out the other, then, like, what's the point of it? Like, no one even learned anything. So, Mm -hmm. clearly, we're not helping anyone by that point. Exactly. And I think, like, what you were saying, like, the interactive thing that you wanted to do at your school, like, hearing from actual individuals is so much better. And, like, you will learn so much more. And, like, putting a face behind stories and statistics is so important because this is real. Like, this can happen to you. Like... You know, I wanted to move back in to kind of inequality, like we're talking about inequality, power. Women, a lot of times, don't experience the same um, things in college. And I know your experience has been similar to that. And um, I would love to hear like your opinion on college athletics in general and or your experience being a female lacrosse player. I feel like so many like women from all schools everywhere would have like in college athletics would have probably a similar experience of some sort like that I do but just from me like so my team is probably one of the better teams at our school but we're basically like a hockey like men's hockey men's lacrosse like those are our big sports and so because the fact like our men's lacrosse team won a national championship in 2015 five years ago they're still riding that (laughs) um but just because they're men even though even though we might be ranked higher than them which a lot of the times we have been it's always us second them first like we're treated like second class citizens um one of the biggest things my team gets an intern every single year as an athletic trainer every other team has a full-time hired athletic trainer which is absurd (laughs) like the amount we put our bodies through 
injuries are so prevalent. ACLs is something like I've thankfully never gone through it, but like are so common in women's lacrosse and we have an intern and the, that's not me like trying to say negative things about them. Like they obviously are qualified and do their jobs, but I sit there with my intern and I look over at every other athlete that's in the room and they're sitting there with their head trainer. And then there's a lot of the times a grad assistant there doing other things for them too. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, what did I do to deserve this? Yeah. See, I think like that is so interesting. Like something that's so outwardly unequal, especially when it comes to something regarding your health is quite concerning. And, um, have you had like any injuries in college that have like really exposed you to the inequalities, uh, regarding like, um, like health and, and safety in college sports? Absolutely. Um, so I, my junior year, four games into our season in February, I found out that I had a torn labrum in my hip. So it's just like kind of the cushion in your hip socket, essentially, (laughs) um, in simple terms. And I had a hip problem since high school. So I knew it was kind of coming. Um, but I found out it was torn. I was too late to redshirt, so I played the rest of my season, which ended up being super painful, but (laughs) I managed. Um, And by the end of the spring, I was kind of talking to my trainer and the surgeon that worked with our school about like what to do, like what were my options, that kind of stuff. And basically the two options were to get surgery or to get, or to do nothing. Okay, three options. <laughs> to do nothing, get surgery, or cortisone injections in my hip until I finish playing lacrosse. And I did some more research, asked questions, and I was like, why would I get cortisone injections in my hip for another year and a half and set myself up for a hip replacement at, what, 30? Like, that makes no sense, and that's what they were pushing to me. They didn't want me to get surgery. They told me that I didn't need it. And then meanwhile, I'm going to practice and I can barely take reps in practice because I'm in pain and then I'm just playing in games. Like that just doesn't make sense to me. (laughs) I was like, where's like the accountability, the support for me, like as a human being, not just an athlete, as a human being, like, yeah, you need your legs after you're done playing lacrosse. (laughs) Yeah. Like what I'm going to graduate and then great. Like I'm not going to be able to do all the things that I want to do post-grad, like I'm an active person. Like I ski, I do all these things. Like I want to be able to do those things. And I can't, if I'm getting injected with whatever is in a cortisone injection for a year and a half. So I ended up going home and getting a second opinion from a surgeon at home. So I'm from Rhode Island. So I went up to Boston, had a second opinion done. And I walked into my appointment, not really knowing what to expect. He looked at all my scans, like did an exam, whatnot. And he the first question he asked me was, when did you stop playing lacrosse? And I was like, I didn't. I, I played my whole season. And he was like, okay, well, you have practiced. <laughs> like your labrum looks not good. Um, and I was like, okay, well, so what do you think? And he was like, well, I can give you surgery in the next few weeks and you'll miss your fall, but you'll play your season. And the reason my school told me not to get surgery was because they told me that I would have to redshirt and not be able to play for like eight months. And I was sitting there and I was like, I don't understand where that like disconnect comes from. So I was like, okay, well, I looked at my parents and I was like, well, this is a no brainer. Like if I'm going to not be in pain anymore and I'm going to just miss the fall and then get to play my senior season, then like that makes so much more sense than me doing the alternate. Like... Absolutely. So I had surgery 
And I did all my rehab at home in the summer. I didn't go back to school. And I had amazing physical therapists. Like I can't say enough about them and their programs. And I went back to school and I was, what, like two months post-op. So I just kind of started running, not super aggressively. Like I couldn't cut or anything. And like my trainer didn't even know what to do with me. My intern had no idea. I explained the surgery to her and I got all of my rehab from my PT at home. And I was like, what? Like, <laughs> that would make me really nervous after I just had a major hip surgery. Like no one is exactly able to support me or help me. And, and, and two, also the fact that you had to get it not through your university meant you were paying on your own dime, correct? Oh, absolutely. I, my, my school didn't pay for my surgery. And unfortunately, I went to a physical therapist that was like private pay. So insurance wouldn't have covered it anyway. And like the school wouldn't have covered it anyway. But my parents had to shell out that money for me to get surgery. And then I still came back to school and I still felt like it, it was either like one extreme or the other. Like they were telling me, no, you can't run anymore. Or like, oh, Molly, why don't you go do why don't you go back squat? Like <laughs> I was like, it, it just didn't. It just wasn't meshing and I felt like I was being so clear as to what like I was feeling and all that kind of stuff and it just still felt like sports medicine specifically just like was never on the same page as me ever yeah say this injury had happened to a football player do you think their treatment would have been different than yours or their like support post-surgery absolutely I felt if I mean obviously we don't have football here but if we had a football player and that had happened i felt i feel like he would have just been treated the exact opposite honestly like i the rehab would have been there the support the everything like the understanding like the pushing him like wanting to him to get back sooner like one of the thing one of my issues with them was that they wanted to hold me back like they wanted to wait and clear me after eight months i was like i'm gonna be fine in four like my surgeon's gonna clear me in four so you have to jump on board and they just were so worried and so cautious. And I feel like that comes from them not wanting to be liable for something else that might happen to me. But that's not fair. And that's no way to live life. Like, I'm not going to just, like, tiptoe around things and, like, quit playing sports just because I got hurt and I don't want to get hurt again. Like, it's not fair. <laughs> and a boy would not be treated that way at all. Yeah. No, I think that's why I asked the question. I was like, I feel like, you know, that wouldn't have been the case um, I wanted to talk about too, like in your opinion, what are kind of the largest besides COVID let's throw COVID out of the question pre COVID. What are the biggest issues you see in college sports? <laughs> wow. Um, that's a loaded question. Um, well, I think we've already touched on a lot of them. Like sexual assault is a huge issue. Like the whole, like you mentioned it before toxic masculinity and like this male centric environment is just not okay. And it's always like, our women's gymnastics team at Denver, this is just an example, they are amazing. They went to, obviously last year, their season got canceled, COVID, whatever. The year before, like they were in the national championship. Like they are amazing. And I still feel like the male athletes are treated better than they are, even though they're the best team on our campus. Like arguably, like our men's hockey team wins national championships all the time. But I mean... Yeah, I mean, UNC is the same. Field hockey, women's soccer, like... You look at them and you're like, wait, you go to a game and like the stands aren't filled. But then like last year, for example, like our basketball team wasn't that good and people were still flooding. And we had 
you know, last last year was our first year of football where things like really turned around and the tickets immediately student tickets sold out. I'm like, where's everybody at when, you know, the field ho- like up until recently, the field hockey team hadn't lost in like 800 days or, or something. And like women's soccer is like in the final four pretty much every year. It's like absolutely. Yeah, I have a like theory about like why it is the way it is. And it's because like men's sports are valued more than women's sports because women are still not valued the way men are. Like, absolutely. And I think it's just... Just in general. Yeah, exactly. In general, like in society, women are still not valued the way men are. And therefore, it's just amplified in sport. And we see that all the time. Like sports amplify cultural issues. Gender, race, two big ones that are amplified in sports. The issues in America are amplified in sports. People are so pissed off that black athletes are protesting. And it's like, well, why? You know, they're able to amplify this issue. Like they're, you know... They have platforms and people get mad when they speak. And then, you know, women like the United States women's national soccer team wants equal pay when they're actually bringing in more revenue than the men. Everyone pitches a fit. When they're so much better. (laughs) Yeah. They bring in more revenue than the men. I'm like, it's not even an issue of equal pay. It's they should get, you know, you want to make this argument. They should be getting paid more then. (laughs) Exactly. Like in that, in that case, like it's not even like you can't even make an argument against it because they're on paper so much better. Yeah. And it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And that's why, like, we can't elect a woman president because no one wants a woman in charge, like, women in charge. Like, things like that that happen outside of athletics and then you bring athletics to the table and all of it still happens within our small environment. Yeah. And it's just, exactly, it's just totally amplified. My parents are both doctors, but they'll call my dad, like, Dr. Makia and my mom, Mrs. Makia. It's like, no, actually, it's doctor and doctor. Like, you know, there's just always these stereotypes, like, women can't be or can't do the same things as men universities need to do a better job of changing that like I think they're like people say like oh people just don't care about women's sports it's like no if you invested the same amount of time money energy marketing advertising Mm -hmm. effort people would come like it's not that hard to get people to come watch like our amazing women's soccer and field hockey team and our lacrosse teams and other like all the women's programs here at Carolina like are fantastic I'm like if you just actually advertise them the way you did football like and shifted interest it's not about you know that's the thing I think it's like people just have these views that it's like you know people only want to watch football it's like well no people probably don't even know that these events are going on because you know they're not advertised because yeah because no one says anything about them and it's it's just absurd like our I remember last winter we don't have, like, an indoor field. There's, we're in, like, the city. Like, there's not really a place to put it. And we it snowed really hard, and they couldn't plow the fields before practice. And we have the morning time slot, and our men's team has have the afternoon time slot. It's snowing all day long. We practiced in a gymnasium on, like, a wood floor, which is – there's so many wrong things about that. And we're preparing, like, three days out for a game on in a gymnasium without real goals like not being able to play there's no lines like nothing nothing and in the afternoon on the same day we see that our men's lacrosse team gets to go to like the broncos indoor practice facility that is yeah that's bad like and like obviously like And I'm sure, like, someone shelled out that money independently or however it happened for them to be able to do that. But then, like, where is the support for us for the same thing? Like, take even the university out of it, like, individual people helping them out. Like, what about us? 
like we're in there practicing in like sneakers in a gym, like, which is so like so many people could get hurt. Like, and we're three days out from a game. Like we're running, like we're trying to like learn offenses and like understand concepts. I mean, I know for sure, like our team has had a similar experience and it's something like we have really, really fought for. And you know, there's been a lot of pushback, like UNC rowing doesn't have a boathouse and we're a division one program. Like there are like division two and three programs that like have more stuff. And like, we're Mm -hmm. launching from a parking lot. Like, there's no place to keep our equipments. Like, they'll spend money on equipment. I'm like, well, the equipment gets destroyed because there's nowhere to put it. It's sitting out in the elements. Yeah, because where are you going to put it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, you know, we have, like, no bathroom, like, no showers, no anything there. You have to get back on the bus and, like, go all the way back to campus. And, you know, it's like, if this were a men's team, like... You know there'd be That one. wouldn't be an issue. Or, like... <laughs> There's there's no men's team at Carolina that deals with that. And, like, yes, we have a unique situation because we're on the water and, like, in a lake that's 30 minutes from campus. But it's, like... But you would still think that there'd be something. Like, you show up and you're a Division One athlete. You've worked your entire life to get where you are. Like, you've sacrificed so many things and made sure you've done everything right to get to this point. So, like, why am I being treated this way? Just because there's no men's team to, like justify why we should have a boathouse like it's not even like you're asking for this like absurd thing it's like can we just have like a building to put things in please yeah and i'm not just saying this is our program i'm saying this is like women's programs across the board across the country like this is unfortunately common there there's like a high level of inequality and like it's just like oh you don't matter i know in my opinion like not to discredit any male accomplishment in sport but like I always have thought higher of female athletes because they are doing it for the love of their sport and not the fame. You don't get fame from it as a female. Yeah. Like, you don't even, like, even if you're a professional, like, you're not making, like, a ton of money. Like, granted, if you're the absolute best at, like, a sport, like, basketball or something like that, maybe you're making a little bit more. But, like, professional women's lacrosse players make, like, what, a couple hundred bucks a game? Like, I don't even know the actual, like dollar sign value of it but like that's like your side hobby like it's not even a job like at that point like all these women that are professional cross players like have jobs are coaches of schools like coach club teams like do all of these things so that they can still do something that they love well it's interesting i'm literally staring at like the abby wambach book i don't know if you've read it the wolfpack book um and she talks about like at the end she's like i'm standing on stage with peyton manning and you know, like, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, like, we're both at the end of our careers, but one of us walks away with financial stability and the other doesn't. Like, he's done working hard in life and now I've just started. But I also kind of wanted to move to the next topic. I think, like, you know, we've talked about a lot of main, like, large issues in sport and just, like, things that are very prevalent and, like, relevant right now. And I think another topic that's really relevant is, like, sexuality in sport. And, um athletes coming out and it's becoming like a larger trend of acceptance which is phenomenal like you know there weren't a lot of openly gay athletes 50 60 years ago and now you know people are coming forward and talking about their experience in sport um and do you think like there are any stigma stigmas in athletics regarding sexuality do you think it's amplified so coming from my perspective like obviously after i um kind of came out and like that happened kind of it wasn't really like a coming out thing I don't know I 
I kind of just showed up at Denver after I transferred and people knew and I didn't really have to like do the whole thing. But I think, I think that it, and honestly, I'm lucky, like I'm privileged to have that because I know so many people in the LGBTQ plus community go through horrible things when they're trying to come out, can't come out, things like that. So I'm honestly so lucky because everyone on my team and that I've been around at Denver pretty much have been accepting of me. But I feel like in a more general sphere of things, the whole idea of toxic masculinity and like these gender norms come into play so much in this conversation because you take a guy and then you take an like a male athlete and he's like, okay, well, men are supposed to be strong. So like male athletes have to be extra strong and extra tough and like can't have feelings and have to be like with girls and like have a girlfriend or like be hooking up with someone and it's all about that it's so like when i think about males especially coming out in athletics i feel so bad because i feel like it's honestly so difficult because of just like these stigmas and stereotypes around what you have to be as a male or a female like you have to be like all these things and then a guy sitting there and I'm like, and he's like, well, what if I'm not that? Like, then what do I do? Because there's not really, there's kind of like the path and then there's like not the path. Yeah. And I think it's like much more, this is just my, like my like perception and please correct me if I'm wrong, but like, I feel like women's sports for the most part is much more open, at least on my team. I know like is much more accepting, but you hear in men's sports, you know, like I have several friends on, on male teams that, you know, make homophobic comic comments like more often than like the general population just because toxic masculinity is like such a prevalent thing in sports and like it's just a very toxic culture and like I think it's, you know, it's, I don't know, I, I don't want to say it's harder to come out as a male, but I want to like, I definitely think it is as an athlete, as a male, 100%. I think it is. And you bring up such a good point is like, in male culture, especially athletic culture, like the, that's so gay, and like all those comments, like the homophobic stereotypes, like all of that. I mean, and it's not just men, like I've heard it from female athletes too, which is honestly so disappointing, but it's disgusting. And that's why people sit and in college have to pretend like they're someone else for four years because they're afraid of whatever the other guys on the team are gonna think especially for males. I mean, obviously it happens for girls too, but especially in male athletics, like I I can't even imagine. Like like what if you're on a team where it's so bad that like if you were to come out, like they'd actually beat the shit out of you or like you just couldn't even stay at the school. Like obviously that's not happening all all the time, but it can. And it absolutely has happened. Yeah, and like you just think about it like I think about like UNC that's like a very liberal for the most part place and like things are still you know I think male athletes here would face like extreme stigma I can't imagine what it could be like at an Alabama or like a school in the SEC exactly it's like it's crazy to me but I think again like I'm like tying it back to this like larger theme of like sports amplify societal issues and like I think this is another one, like, sexuality and, like, where that fits in American society and, like, how people view it. Like, it's, like, is it a masculine to be gay? And, like, that's amplified in sports. Like, people who are gay, like, don't fit that 
ultra like they say they don't fit that like ultra manly stereotype and it's like well no one has to fit any sort of stereotype and all these stereotypes are wrong to begin with and I I think another thing being an athlete like you're a public figure um again we were talking about you know male athletes are obviously on like parade more and like more well known it's like that's another thing like people judge you for every aspect of yourself and like that's another thing people judge you for which is like unfortunate but it is a part of like college sports that people you know, pry into your life and, and that these things like are put on general display. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I've honestly, I am public and I, like it says, I play Denver lacrosse and like that kind of stuff. And I've been lucky enough to not have any like super negative stuff come my way. But in my opinion, it's like, if you don't believe in, agree with whatever, who I am and the fact that I'm gay, then don't follow me. And don't like, there's no point. And I've a positive thing that's come out of it is I'm super open about it on my Instagram and whatever social media. And I've had so many younger girls direct message me and be like, oh my God, thank you for like, thank you for being so open. Like, thank you for posting this. Thank you for like making this seem okay. Like blah, 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 like all these things. And it's, it's so heartwarming because I'm like, I can't imagine as like a little boy or a little girl and like having no idea like what the hell is going on and not being in an environment where I can be myself and truly figure out who that person is. Like I would never want that for someone else. And I feel like if you are a part of that community, like if you're part of the LGBTQ plus community, like you have to be like, you don't have to be, but like, it's so important to be open and positive and being like, this is okay. Like, and showing people that it is, especially athletes, like, cause you are in the public eye. There are so many professional women's across players that are openly gay and out on social media, like all that kind of stuff and openly talk about it. And that's so important for people to see because it's another thing like sexual assault and gender-based violence. Like people are like, no, don't talk about that. Yeah, exactly. I think like, like you're saying, like, it's so important to be open and honest. And it's like, that like warms my heart that like you get reached out to and you really like have made a difference in people's lives. Like it's crazy sometimes to just think like something as little as like you posting a picture with Taylor, like really could change somebody's like perspective and be like, wow, like, you know, this is giving me the confidence. Like I can be my true self too. Like I can come out, I can do it. Like look at Molly, like she's a fantastic athlete. She's a great student. Like, I don't know if I saw this correctly, but someone sent me a screenshot. You are like on the tryout list for the uh, women's national team. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. So I uh, found out like a week ago, I am getting to go to the training camp, the tryout for the US national team in December, which is amazing. I like honestly was so shocked. Didn't think that that was something that I could do, but I don't know, like from a child, like from my childhood, like that's something that I've always dreamed of. And so it's honestly such an honor and so humbling that I'm going to be able to do that so wait that's so amazing thanks that's so amazing. congratulations yeah so that's another thing like people watching this like can look at all the obstacles that you've overcome and look where you're at you know like you're about to try out for the national team so I wish you the best of luck but before we end I wanted to see if you had like any final parting advice or any anything else you wanted to share I think just like going off like what we were just talking about and what I've mentioned before is like I look at the things that I've dealt with in my life and not like done my very best, like not to let them define me and be my own person and be able to still achieve the goals that I want to achieve, 
no matter what has happened in my past. And I think it's just so important for anyone, no matter what you go through, if it's something similar to me, if it's not like just be who you are and don't let whatever that might be define you as a person. Like you're so much more than that. You're like, (laughs) there's so many more important things in life than mean people, haters, people that are going to hurt you physically, mentally, anything like that. Like there's so much more out there than just those negative things. And I guess my biggest thing would just like be yourself, like own who you are and don't make any apologies for that. Like no one else can tell you differently. Yeah, no, that's awesome advice. And I really just want to say thank you, Molly. Like you took so much of your time out to speak with me today. And thank you everyone for tuning in to this episode of Benched. And thanks again, Molly. Want to share your story? Whether you prefer to share on a podcast, in a video, on a panel, or in a written blog, we cannot wait to hear from you. Just go to uncutchapelhill.com. That is uncutchapelhill.com. Click get involved and then share your story. Amplifying your voice has never been so easy.